we have the conversation frequently that do downloads matter and people will say, no, they don't matter. And other people say they do matter. And my perspective is that they do matter from an advertising perspective. If you don't have a large enough audience, you really can't monetize your show. Podcast Junkies, episode 238. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. The show where we talk to amazing folks in the podcasting space, people I've been friends with, people I've just gotten to know for the very first time. They all have one thing in common. They have amazing stories in the world of podcasting. Last week's show was great. We had Ariel Niesenblatt on, longtime friend, founder of the Earbuds Newsletter, community manager at Squadcast. Really great conversation, geeking out on podcasting and what she's doing in the world of podcasting. And a really great story of how she just took her passion and ran with it. And you, you'll hear a lot. If you haven't heard that episode already, check it out. Episode 237. This week, another friend of ours and mine is on the show, Heather Osgood. She's the founder of True Native Media and the host of the podcast advertising playbook. Heather's got a ton of experience in the industry. She joins us this episode to share her experience working in advertising and how she transitioned to the podcast industry. Because of her expertise, she's able to help us understand how brands and businesses are leveraging podcast advertising to achieve their goals. Naturally, we've got a lot of best practices for monetizing a podcast. We find out what prompted her to start her own podcast, the Podcast Advertising Playbook. We talk about her journey as a host, what's exciting her about the industry, and what is keeping her motivated with so much attention being focused on podcasting lately. It's a really fascinating conversation. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 238. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's uh, dig into all things podcast advertising with Heather. So Heather Osgood, founder of True Native Media, thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you today. So... Oh, man, Heather, how long have we known each other now? <laughs> <laughs> it's been several years, actually. It's I feel like time has been flying, right? <laughs> it feels like podcast bingo or something. We're like, were you at this event? So I started the show after going to New Media Expo in 2014, in January 2014. That's where I got the idea. I saw Cliff Ravenscraft speak. I saw Pat Flynn speak. And I saw, I know, because I took a selfie with Pat, which is nice. funny. <laughs> And then I saw Amy Porterfield speak and Scott Stratton. So that sort of timestamps it. So where were you timeline-wise in your podcasting journey? Yeah, so... In 2014, I was not even on the radar. I don't even know if I was okay. listening to podcasts in 2014. Okay. Right. <laughs> Maybe that was the year I started, but I started the company in January of 2016. Okay. And then I think you and I met in 2017. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, what got you into it? So, let's talk a little bit about your background and then talk a little bit about what True Native does. 
for sure. So I started my career actually in radio ad sales. So I did radio ad sales. I did newspaper ad sales. And then I started a trade show production company, which is essentially just advertising in person. And then I had that company for about 10 years and I sold that business. And after I sold that company, I didn't have anything to do kind of for my adult. It was the first time in my adult life that I had had extra time on my hands. And one day my husband said, have you ever listened to a podcast? And I was like, no, I would never listen to a podcast. They're so difficult to download and all this. And he said, no, you've got this app on your phone. You should try it. And I was like, oh, I should. So I started listening to podcasts and I got totally obsessed. And then the more I listened, the more I thought, gosh, there's all these really great podcasts that don't have ads on them. And that seems strange to me. So I could tell that like the really successful kind of corporate type podcasts all had ads on them, but it felt like all the independent shows that I really liked didn't have any ads. So I started looking into the industry and I found that of course there were companies that were well established to service like the top 1% of podcast, but there wasn't anybody who was open to working with smaller shows. And my thought was, well, gosh, if you've got 10,000 downloads, we can definitely do something with that. And at the time, you really needed to have about 50,000 downloads per episode. So yeah, I found a True Native Media to help that mid-level show monetize their podcast. Yeah, it was interesting because I remember I was talking to Jessica Kufferman, who we both know, Mm -hmm. like years ago about this, because I think at the time mid-roll was out and, you know, they were making a splash and, you know, everyone was tossing around that 50K number. And I remember talking to her and I'm like, it's not like we need a mid-roll. I think I may have used the term like mini-roll, <laughs> like, like to talk about like that that long tail, you know, the people who are getting, you know, the 5,000, the 1,000 to the 5,000 downloads. And so it's interesting that you saw that as an opportunity early on, because it really feels like at that time, and probably still now, it seems like an underserved community. It is. It's definitely an underserved community. And now, you know, in January, it'll be five years. So, you know, it's been a while that we've been working at this. And I certainly have learned a lot of lessons. And as a representation firm, you only get a small percentage of what it is that you're selling. So uh, number one, we don't personally create any content beyond just our own podcast. And I have never intended to create content because I felt like, there's so many great shows out there. Let's help those shows monetize. But I realize yeah. the reason why so many people have their own shows is because you keep a much greater percentage of the, you know, the ad sales. And so that makes sense why they create so much content. And also I have seen that selling smaller shows isn't as easy or as lucrative as I had hoped that it would be. So our company has definitely pivoted a bit where we are now looking for, I would say, not at, you know, we're still not at 50,000, we're at 10,000 now. But when I started, I was like, hey, if you've got 500 downloads, I'll talk to you, (laughs) you know, I'll work with you. So things have changed, you know, I would say substantially in the industry, but there still is a place. And I think we have the conversation frequently that do downloads matter? And people will say, no, they don't matter. And other people say they do matter. And my perspective is that They do matter from an advertising perspective. If you don't have a large enough audience, you really can't monetize your show. 
at least through a service like True Native Media. You can go yourself and try and solicit advertisers if you have, you know, even hundreds of listeners. It just depends on who you're reaching and and what you're trying to do and how much money you want for it. But, you know, if you're looking to have a company work with you, you've got to have some minimum download number for it to make sense because they've got to make some money in the equation as well. So what, I mean, I imagine once people find out what you do, especially when you talk to podcasters, like when I go to podcasting conferences and I tell them, oh, I have a show that interviews other podcasters, they're like, well, I have a show, you should interview me. <laughs> so I imagine it might be the same thing when you tell people, I help podcasters get ads on shows and immediately they're just like, okay, like, here's my show, go work your magic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering what those, what guidance now, since you've heard that ask so many times you have for podcasters that are just getting started, even while they're thinking about what their show is going to be about, because, you know, when, when we build shows for clients, we're always adamant that they speak to a specific audience, because I'm already thinking like, okay, is there a way you're going to be able to monetize it down the line, either with your own stuff or with sponsorships? Yeah, I think that you make a really good point. And I always recommend that people start with the end in mind. So if you're starting a podcast, I think it's really important for you to ask yourself why. Why are you starting it? And if you're starting it just because it's entertainment and you want to do it for yourself, great, you know, go for it. If you're doing it because it's a creative art project and an outlet for you, and you're really just passionate about the art of podcasting, that's terrific. But if you're starting it thinking, I want to do this and I want to make money, then you need to figure out how you're actually going to make money. And whether that's the idea that you're going to sell a product that you already have, or whether that's that you are, you know, and so you're using it essentially as a marketing vehicle, or if you're trying to get advertisers then you have to just decide what path you want to go down. And if you have decided that you're interested in advertising, number one, what I tell people is start your show with that in mind. And so structure your show to have it accommodate advertisers. I think one of the big mistakes that podcasts seem to make that is becoming more and more irritating to me, I guess, is that when you're listening to a show, all of a sudden, there's no transition and they hop right into an ad read and you're like, yeah. what's going on? You know, so in my yeah. opinion, there should be an ebb and a flow to your content. There should be an, a natural transition and there should be lots of natural transitions in your show. But if you're going to have an ad, then you should create a natural transition point for an ad. So I, I think that that's important. And then the next kind of trick that I like to tell people is start with affiliate advertisements in your show. I think that you could go out today and fill your entire podcast with affiliate ads. Not that you should do that, but you could, you know, you could easily get one or two affiliate ads. And number yeah. one, that educates your audience that you're going to have advertisers. Number two, it allows you to see what kind of engagement you have with your audience and how responsive they are. And then number three, it allows you to create a really good story for a paying advertiser where you can say, my show on average, you know, creates this level of conversion. And that's what you could expect as well. So I think that yeah. that's a really good place for beginning podcasters to start is at that affiliate level with the intention that they're going to actively grow their audience. And then once they've actively grown their audience, then they're in a place to say, hey, hand me some money to run an ad on my podcast. Yeah. 
And it seems like I always think about reverse engineering this because if you think about, okay, which affiliates would you want to look at? And obviously you'd want to look at someone that has high payout, right? Or high percentage. And so if you think about, okay, let's say it's medical devices, you know, because sometimes maybe those types of things, anything in the medical or wellness realm sometimes has like the chili pad, I think it's like a thousand dollars. And so people who are like biohacking. So I would think, okay, let you would create a, a podcast where you're pretty confident that people who use that service or that product would likely be listening to that content. So I think it behooves new podcasters. They always say when you think you've gone niche, go one level more and then go even more niche because then you're speaking to uh, that intended audience. The other thing I do, which is probably somewhat related is for uh, my, my clients, when we help them build show, they're more business owners. So I say, just do an ad read for your own product at the beginning of the show, just let listeners know from day one that you have an ad spot that's there. And even if it's your own stuff in the beginning, because I think regular listeners come for the content, but if they're a business owner, they're, th- they're thinking they keep hearing that ad spot, they keep hearing that ad spot. And they're like, well, I listen to the show. So, and I have a business, so maybe I should, you know, cause I've had that feeling too. Like, I'm like, oh, I listen to the show and it's got an ad spot. Maybe I should <laughs> advertise my stuff on there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is a really good idea. So what you're saying, and I know you're so good at this, but you're saying, take a look at those affiliates that are going to pay out, you know, big, and then almost reverse yeah. engineer your podcast to hit that demographic so that you then can, you know, make money from that essentially. Yeah, I think kind of think about it that way, you know, which so you're setting yourself for success, because to your point, if you want to see conversions, it'll also drive the content. Like if, you know, if you really, really thought about it, and you're like, well, I want to create something, I want to create the most valuable show for this type of audience that uses this type of product, you know, in in order to have the best result. I don't know if you've seen the movie Joy. I have. uh, I I don't think it's about I always forget the actress's name, Jennifer something. But it was about the oh, woman the who mop. found the, yeah, the mop. Yes, I loved that movie. Yes, <laughs> I was surprised at how inspiring that movie was. And the reason I mentioned it here is because I, I thought it was fascinating. Obviously, this was early days of QVC, right? When everyone when it's it's popular. But as you were talking about this idea with the products. I would thought about someone creating like a QVC type podcast where all they have are affiliates on there. So you had like, it's almost like a, the audio QVC version and you're just mentioning products the whole podcast, which I thought was I funny. I think you could yeah. totally do that. I mean, we're coming up on the holidays right now and I think, you know, yeah. holidays in 2020 are going to be a little different than they've been before. And I feel like if you could create a podcast that was just like, a holiday podcast and for the next yeah. you know for october oh, and november true. maybe you have an episode a day where you highlight a company or you i don't know you could come up with so many creative ideas because yeah, yeah, people yeah. want creative i mean they're going to want creative christmas ideas right so you could i think that this is a great idea you could somebody could launch it at the holidays <laughs> and see how it goes and then <laughs> morph it as podcasters, we never have a shortage of podcast nope. ideas. Uh, so, <laughs> so if I haven't done it by the time this goes live, you're welcome, listener, to borrow this idea. Yes. 
So you started your own show as well. So talk about a little bit your thought process as a business owner online. And obviously, with so many of your clients producing amazing shows, it's you have no shortage of inspiration. So talk to me about how you thought about starting the, the podcast for True Native. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the concept behind our podcast, it's called the Podcast Advertising Playbook, is to really create a show that highlights podcast advertising. So what are all the ins and outs? You know, how do you get ads on your show? If you're an advertiser, how do you make ads successful? And so we've had an opportunity to interview several people in the industry who have had success. So originally, I started the show wanting to just interview as many brands as possible that had had success in podcast advertising. I fairly quickly found out that a lot of people don't want to share their secrets. And so it wasn't as easy to get some brands on as I had hoped, because they were like, I don't want to come on and tell you my secret sauce. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we do have a handful of interviews that have been really great. And then just recently been branching out and interviewing some really interesting people who are kind of supporting the ad space in podcasting, which is fun. So we've got some of those that are going to be coming out here in the next month or so. But really, the concept is, is that there are so many facets to advertising in podcasting. And one of the things that's so fascinating about this industry is that things change so quickly. And with that change, you sometimes, especially if you're a podcaster, may not always know exactly where the industry is at. So the the show yeah. is designed to help bring new concepts to both podcasters and advertisers and help them understand the podcast ad space. Can you mention some of those companies that are supporting the ad space? Yeah. So one of the interviews that I just had was Brian Barletta. He just started Sounds Profitable, a newsletter that's an offshoot of Pod News. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's in the ad tech space. So he had originally come from Barometric, which is a podcast attribution software company, and then was at Megaphone and then now is out on his own. And he's got a lot of passion for the space and, you know, is really looking at how how is ad tech playing a role in the industry and i i think there's the, a big question right now between the host red ad is so valuable and it's yeah. i would say in my opinion one of the biggest differentiators between podcast ads and every other type of advertising out there and so there's that piece, but then there's the other piece of, gosh, isn't automation nice? Aren't pre-recorded ads nice? You know, I'm just going to sit back yeah. as a podcaster and let the money roll in. Do so you have people like Anchor that are, I would say, making a play for that, trying to get more people on their platform so they can then programmatically sell ads onto their show, which is nice from one perspective. And there's more programmatic ad happening, ad buying happening in this space than there have been before. So it's, I think, looking at that ad tech and saying, how is that going to impact the space? But also, what I appreciate about Brian is that he has this concept about how can we also preserve the value of the host red ad? And how could we preserve the value of the host red ad and use the ad tech to kind of infuse the two, which is certainly a very important position that I feel like I've taken. How do we take the host red ad and use the dynamic insertion capability to maximize our reach, maximize our income, but also preserve the value that the industry brings? 
So yeah, so that's an interview that's going to be coming up. And then there's another company called LaunchPod Media. A gentleman named Johnny Dinkle founded that. And he's got a really interesting take on understanding audience analytics and does a lot of, I would say, very hands-on research on podcasts. And that episode that I did with him, I'm just so excited for it to come out because he gave so many great tips about how to analyze your audience and tips that I've never heard. He's he's one of those kind of boy genius type people where he like <laughs> he had a podcast himself and he was like, I want to yeah. understand my audience better. How do I do that? And since my hosting provider is not giving me that information, how can I take other techniques to analyze my audience? And then his companies come from that. So it's kind of, yeah. What was his name his again? His name is Johnny Dinkle. Okay. So yeah, he's pretty active on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you must love the ability to geek out podcast ad tech. And, and, and <laughs> you know, when you're when you're going down those rabbit holes in a in a specific genre, which is your business and something you're passionate about, and you find someone that's just as passionate about it, those tend to be fun conversations, I would imagine. Yeah, they are. And what I find is a little bit funny is that I definitely wouldn't classify myself as a real techie type person, but I've learned so much. And it's just, to me, it's just so exciting because the heart and soul of podcasting is this ability for anybody to go out there and have a voice and create a show, but not only create it, but to make money. And, you know, so I I really just love that the industry is growing and maturing. And it's fun to have, I, I feel like it's fun to be in an industry that feels really collaborative. I know it's not always collaborative. Of course, there are still companies that are competitive. But by and large, I feel like it's a really collaborative space, which is so fun to be part of. Where are you getting your news from? Like, how are you keeping your finger on the pulse with what's happening? Obviously, Pod News is a, is a big source of that for me, just because I have, I used to subscribe to a lot of the newsletters, but then it's like, they were just repeating stuff. And I was just like, you know, how do you curate it? And I think that's what James does a good job of with Pod News. I'm wondering if you had any other sources that you like. You know, I have to say Pod News is my favorite. And I agree with you. I feel like I used to subscribe to several others. And I, I still do. But really, I feel like Pod News is the one that I turn to the most. Uh, what I like about Pod News is that I feel like he covers independent issues just as well as he covers more corporate. Yeah. Items. Yeah, it's a good point. So yeah. I really like that. I also subscribe to Hot Pod. And I like that as oh, yeah. well. But I feel like he does tend to... It feels like... Like he's more corporate when I, I don't know, when I read his stuff, it, it just feels more like he's focused on the industry from a corporate yeah. level as opposed to an independent podcaster level. But I feel like, yeah, those two sources. Yeah, what some folks call the procaster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely more procaster. Yeah. And then truthfully, I feel like there is, I we've gotten really active on LinkedIn and I love LinkedIn and I feel like there are a lot of things that come out of that as well because you can connect with people. Everybody's starting a business in podcasting right now, it feels like. But it could be part of that, you know, that reticular activating system that when you're you've got your your finger on the pulse (laughs) you just see it everywhere. But it feels like everybody when you're driving a Volkswagen Beetle, everyone seems to have a Volkswagen Beetle. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that's (laughs) just I just see podcasts everywhere because that's what I'm looking for. But but yeah, there's. It is interesting because if you use James's newsletter as a finger on the pulse, then 
he mentions new companies and it feels like there was a week when I felt like he was mentioning at least one or two new companies like on every single newsletter. I was like, I couldn't keep up. And I track them for a project I'm working on. So it's interesting because it stands out like this company's doing this and this network's doing this and this company's doing this. And and I think, um, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are, the impact of the Joe Rogan $100 million to Spotify contract. And, you know, this regardless of whether you love like the guy or like the content or not, I think podcasting wise, it's really interesting for the industry. Yeah, I think it is really interesting. And I think what is even equally fascinating is watching people's reactions to it. Because people seem like they have really, you know, very, I think, kind of polarizing takes on it, whether it's a positive or a negative. You know, some people have said, well, if the show is only going to be on Spotify, then that means it's actually not even a podcast, because it's not on all these other channels. And the very definition of a podcast is to be on all these other channels, right? And I feel that argument as that ship has already sailed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it feels, I always, I think about those two characters in the Muppets who are the older guys in the balcony sometimes. And sometimes when I hear these arguments, you know, certain personalities, you know, come to mind like, hey, that's not how we, back in the day, how we would do things. You know, it's like, you can't. I think the industry has to innovate and what we think is a podcast, you know, I I know there's YouTubers that have podcasts, but there's no RSS feed. It's just like on YouTube. So I think to your point, it's, we should just consider them shows. Like you have a show Mm -hmm. and you know, it's just, and then these are just different distribution channels. I think helps people open it up to see what the possibilities are. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I totally agree. And I don't think in my opinion, you can look at it and see it as anything but positive. I mean, the fact that you have this guy, granted, he was a comedian and UFC announcer, you know, actor, all those things. Fear factor Yeah, that, right, right. Fear factor. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's not like he, you know, just stepped off the, you know, off the prairie and started a podcast or something, right? I mean, this guy had like some connections. But I think that watching him grow his show and seeing, number one, how much he's been able to make even just in ad revenue alone on his podcast, and then the fact that it's being, you know, acquired... And, oh, by the way, he's going to be interviewing, at least I heard he was interviewing President Trump. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that was the latest. Yeah, yeah that Trump, uh, okay, oh, Trump said he would debate Joe Biden. I said on Twitter, so there's nothing official. And I, I doubt, I can't imagine the Biden campaign agreeing to that. Because it would be the most funniest thing to watch and <laughs> <laughs> moment in time of u.s history would, i think anyone could ever it imagine would be crazy so, ratings wise yeah ratings wise it'll be it would pre- be pretty yeah. bananas but i mean to me it's like that's all it's pretty cool right to say like this guy started from you can't say he started from nothing but you know he started a podcast and took it to something pretty huge yeah. and so i think that to me yeah. that's a pod a positive One of the things that i keep throwing around that i don't have an answer for is whether or not a channel like Spotify or Anchor is trying to make a play to become like a a YouTube of podcasting. And I think that that worry, I mean, that worries me a little bit. I really like the independent open source nature of podcasting right now. And I, I like it. It's also a challenge because it doesn't feel like there's a ton of standardization in the industry, especially when it comes from an ad perspective. It's like, oh, well, this hosting provider does this. And then it's like that and that hosting provider does that. And, you know, but it does, I don't, I hope that we're not going down that path where these large companies are coming 
into the space, which lots of lots of large companies are. You know, we just heard Amazon a few weeks ago is coming out into the space. So it worries me a little bit that we're going to have like one dominant player. And I don't really want that personally, but we'll have to see. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it feels like sometimes it's it might in some ways mimic the cable model. So now you have like everyone before everyone was trying to unbundle because, you know, the days of paying a hundred and seventy dollars a month for like three channels <laughs> even though you get like 150 that nobody watches seems has has gone by the wayside and i think on the podcasting side it feels like there may be shows that are only available on spotify like joe rogan is i think apple is making a play to produce their own shows as well so there'll be some of that i think and it'll obviously be harder to reach but also folks like adam curry i don't know if you saw his new initiative where he's trying to create that open source directory where it's essentially the equivalent of what the functionality that Apple provides, but it's open source and it's going to remain open source. And I think they've built it in a way where no one can actually like claim ownership for, for it. I know that James on of Pod News has mentioned that he's made that the prominent directory when people search that that's the place he wants them to search first. So, I, you know, there is some pushback on what you're talking about. So I think everyone is interested in the openness of it. And that's what makes it so approachable for people as well. Yeah. I totally agree. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about the your, your what you went through as being the host of a podcast because you said it's something that you hadn't done before and talk to me from the you know where you were when you started and what some of your challenges and or fears were of being a host and interviewing people and then how you've grown to current time with with you know because of the reps and because of the interviews. Yeah, that's a good question. So actually, before I launched True Native Media, I launched a podcast called Leap to Grow. And I want to say I probably produced like 15 episodes because I knew I wanted to be part of the podcast space. And so I thought, oh, yeah. I'll start a podcast, you know. Um, but I really had my my sight set on founding the agency, but it yeah. felt like kind of a daunting task. And so I started the podcast. And the more I did that podcast, the more I thought, you know, really what I want to do is the agency. Like that's where my heart is. So I stopped the Leap to Grow podcast. And then after I started the agency, gosh, probably, I don't know, maybe six or seven months in, I started a podcast called The Business of Podcasting. Mm And actually had uh, Jessica Kupferman was on that with me for a little while and another co-host, Ray Palermo, who's now at Megaphone. Oh, yeah. And we did. Do you know Ray? I know Ray. Oh, yeah, you know Ray. <laughs> but yeah, so we did that together for a little while, which was really fun. And then it kind of faded because we got busy. And then I hired a marketing person about a year and a half ago. And she was like, OK, Heather, we have to do this. <laughs> like, you have to get on this. And yeah. so I started doing it. And truthfully, I started it pretty sporadically. I always feel and you probably feel the same way because I'm out there giving everyone advice on how they should podcast that I, I'm always like, I need to up my podcast game because <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm of not course. producing my episodes yeah. consistently and all that. But yeah. so we have, I would say, probably in the last, well, like since January, we have more consistently produced episodes. But in the last like three, four months, we have had an episode come out every single week. And I think number one, 
I really wanted a guest for every episode and that was kind of slowing me up. And then at one point I thought, you know what? I don't need a guest for every show. And so now it's a hybrid between just solo shows where I just talk about something that I see happening in the industry and me interviewing people. And I feel like that has given me a lot of that freedom and flexibility to feel like it's okay not to have to, you know, have somebody there all the time. And we did just also, I started doing it on video a couple of months ago. So now I'm doing video and audio, which I feel like is a big step up for me. Mm-hmm. My goal when I podcast is to record and say as few filler words as possible and and make as few mistakes as possible so that the editing is almost not there. So I try really hard to do that. So I've found that if I can script out the show, that's helpful for me. But I don't usually write everything. I just write bullets and then I talk off of that. And I think that has helped me and really, and also producing a lot of um, LinkedIn videos has helped me get better at that. And then I think those skills have kind of translated into being better or more comfortable interviewing people. I don't think that I have interviewing down to a science for sure, because I have only done a handful of them so far, but I don't know, probably 10. But I do feel like interviewing is a skill and it's something that I would like to focus more energy on learning how to interview well. Yeah. So having with this show being an interview based show, it's been something that I've been consciously aware of as I listen to other shows and Jordan Harbinger does a really good job of interviewing. He's been on a couple of times and he talks about like the, you know, four to six hours of prep that he does. And he has a different type of guests as well, like that, that are pretty well known. I think he just had Mark Cuban on recently. And so he gets uh, good names, but I think it depends on, um, yeah, it's, it's how much you want to learn or educate your listeners about the, the interviewee is probably something to take into account. But sometimes it's also your natural curiosity. And I think the fact that you're learning from these folks as you conduct the interview leads you to ask questions that are helpful for your audience as well. Because sometimes when I have people that are doing something really, really positive, but I don't know a ton about them, I feel that if, I, if I'm naturally curious and ask those types of questions, then at least I'm, I'm doing something good for my listeners as well. I'm wondering if, that's, if you felt that also. Absolutely. I think that... I listen to a lot of podcasts and I think as an interviewer, it's important to have a script of questions and I've got an interview scheduled tomorrow and she's the first person who's ever asked me to send her a list of all the questions before the interview. And, and I understand, you know, she works for a company, she has to, uh, you know, preserve the integrity or reputation of the company. And she probably doesn't want me to spring something on her that she wouldn't be comfortable answering. But So, of course, I have a list of questions that I'm trying to get answered in the interview, but I also, I dislike interviews that are so scripted that you, you know, it's like the person asks a question, (laughs) oh, they answer next question, they answer next question, right? It just doesn't feel fun to listen to. And so... Yeah, it's, 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 always- as soon as you hear that, you're just like, <laughs> you like cringe a little. <laughs> Your favorite ice cream. If you're spirit animal, you know, like those types of questions. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. And I have to say, having been interviewed on more podcasts than I've interviewed, I hate those questions like, who is your favorite (laughs) business owner? I don't know who my favorite business owner is or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, but I think the best interviews are one where you say like, the host has a natural curiosity about the guest and... As a listener, you have that curiosity as well. And you're right there along with the host saying, oh, ask that question. Oh, I want to find out more about that. Dig in deeper, you know? So I think if you can navigate through an interview that way, that's... Yeah, because the listener is doing that. And I always tell folks, like there's three people in a a podcast conversation, the host, the guest, and the listener. And if you say something, like I've listened to shows and I'm like, oh man, I hope they ask that follow-up question because she just opened up a thread there and I'm just like... Please go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and so I think keeping that in mind is helpful. I'm wondering what is exciting for you and what keeps you motivated because this is being an entrepreneur, number one, is super challenging. <laughs> and I don't think that's a surprise to anyone who started a business. And then also trying to understand whether you're in the right industry for your skill set as well because it keeps changing and you're like okay do I grow with it and do I keep learning or do I figure out like it's time for me to do something else so I'm wondering how you weigh all those in your business owner journey in this industry yeah that's that's a great question when I was doing my trade show production company I had a business partner who was also my best friend and I remember during that journey looking at her and thinking, I would never want to do anything else ever in my life. This is perfect (laughs) in every way. And I love it inside and out because I did. I loved it so much. But then there came a point where all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was like, I'm done. And it was like this really weird realization. Like I just am ready to move on to the next chapter in my life. And I think it's so bizarre because I never intended that to be the case. So one of the lessons that I learned in that business was, and part of one of the things that I say constantly that I've already said is you should begin your podcast with the end in mind, but you should also begin any business with the end in mind. And the mistake I made with my last company was not beginning with the end in mind. So when that moment came to say like, okay, I'm ready to leave, we didn't have a plan for that. And it was really hard to leave. So now as I have started True Native Media, I have started it with the intention of, of, you know, a specific trajectory that I'm growing the business toward. But what motivates me most in, in every facet of my life is people are just so important. And I try to go back every day and just think about relationships, right? Think about the relationships that I have with my podcasters and I try to visualize them and their families and what they're trying to build and create and what it looks like for them to have really great ad campaigns and how that's going to support them. Then I think about my employees and what it looks like for them to be building something and for us all to work together (laughs) collaboratively. There we go to build this great business. And also the advertisers, what are they getting out of this? And how are we, you know, how are we helping their businesses grow? And how are we helping their customers grow? So for me, it's just the interconnectedness of what I believe, you know, everything in this world is so interconnected when it comes to, you know, a person to person. And that's what all business should be, in my opinion, is that connection from person to person. And what I love about podcasting is that for me personally, 
I literally started listening to audiobooks in my early 20s <laughs> and was obsessed with them. And I'm just yeah. an audio person. I love it. So I feel like for me, podcasting fills so many of the holes in my life. And I feel like has helped me, you know, challenge me to push myself and help contribute to the industry and help contribute to podcasts. And I feel like that's what makes me so inspired and excited. That's to awesome. <laughs> awesome and incredibly inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Sometimes during your day in your day to day, you forget about like why or how you ended up in this <laughs> business. And then I remember, but I, then as you were speaking, I was thinking about those first few podcasts that I discovered, and I think it was pretty magical at the time because I was just like, "Wow, this is so interesting!" I I didn't even know this existed. I, I listened to a podcast called The Memory Palace, and he was just like a really, it was just like a really fascinating, kind of like 99% Invisible. And if you've ever heard that one, that sort of vibe where they tell a story, but it's like a theater of the mind thing. And then I was learning stuff as well, because I was learning how to build mobile apps. And this was probably 2013. And I think like Pat Flynn's early, early days <laughs> of, of his podcast. So I think it just, sometimes we forget to remind ourselves of, of why we're doing what we're doing. And I think uh, what you just laid out was something that's uh, was helpful for a reminder for that. Great. Yeah, I agree. It's important to remember because it's so easy yeah. to get caught up in the minutia of life. And I think maybe <laughs> the, it's the true. older I get, too, <laughs> the more I'm like, wait, you know, what yeah. is like, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? And just trying to be really conscientious of that helps. I turn 50 I next month. So <laughs> it's something. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I haven't hit that uh, plateau yet. If ever there was a milestone that come. made you think about like, first half, second half of your life, like that's, <laughs> that's definitely the one. So yeah. Yeah. I've been giving that some thought. So a couple yeah. questions as we wrap up, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I have changed my mind about recently. What a good question. I would say that I have probably you know, just the way that I'm viewing my company. So we're a remote company. We've and we've always been remote. And and I like that. But I feel like it's been such an interesting transition as we've, you know, been in this pandemic, all everybody working independently. And I think that I had been feeling like a remote company was a little easier than having an in-person company. And I think that what has contributed to the difficulty of a remote company is that when one aspect of your life is kind of separate from other things, it feels easy. But when you're confined in other ways, I think it becomes more challenging. So I'm just finding that creating community and connection between my staff is more challenging than I thought it would be. And I feel like as we have grown as a company, it has become more yeah. apparent that it's harder to get, you know, it's it's easy to get two or three people connected. It's harder to get five or six people connected, you know? So I think that in terms of I haven't changed my mind necessarily to say I'm not interested in a remote company anymore. I still am, but I have changed my mind in how I'm approaching the creation of that remote company and team and really just looking at it in a different way of how can we spend more time just on that person, I guess, getting back to what I was talking about before on that personal level of how do we yeah, really because, have a connection? You know, you spend a lot of your time during the day and during the week with these people. And, you know, like even when they, back when I was in my corporate job. And if I, if I thought about how many hours I spent in the office 
relative to like time at home, <laughs> like you literally spend a good portion of your waking hours with uh, working with the people that are helping you build your business. So yeah, it'll be interesting how it plays out, obviously, because there's some choices that are being made for us right now, depending on where in the country or where in the world you are. So it, it was the the forced experiment <laughs> that a lot of people weren't, weren't prepared for. But now when you see what's happening with like, n- no one racing back to New York City to like get crammed into like these uh, um, offices, and I think it's at 10% and occupancy right now it's 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 yeah no one's going back really people that don't have to go back are not going back companies that had small offices i spoke with uh, dave from chartable and they uh, he talked about how they had a an office and they probably weren't going to be going to renew the lease back in new york city because (laughs) you know why why do you need that space you know if um it's something that's not adding value so it's interesting you know to your point about like what the current work environment looks like, but also what it's going to look like in the future. So it'll be interesting for people who are in that space. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Corporate real estate. Yeah. 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 And I think that to me, one of the biggest concerns I have is just human interaction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we need people. And so what does that look like? And how is that going to progress? Yeah. Should be interesting. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? The most misunderstood thing about me I would say that as an entrepreneur, I'm extremely driven and extremely ambitious. And I think that as a woman, I feel that has been a part of me throughout my life that has been kind of misunderstood. I think often, and I'm so thankful for the Me Too movement. And I'm just thankful for so many of the things, a lot of the social awakenings that I feel like we're going through right now have been really powerful, but it's easy as a woman to feel discounted a bit. And that to me has been a challenge over the years, but it feels good that on a lot of levels now it's okay for me to be an ambitious woman. I think it's not, it hasn't always necessarily felt very acceptable to be driven and ambitious and be a woman. So I'm happy, but I feel like that has been, you know, growing up in my life, that has been something that. Well, that's, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. And I'm glad that we're in an environment where communities and folks that, you know, were on the sidelines and not getting, you know, their due time in in the spotlight because of, you know, the patriarchy, <laughs> to be honest, to, to give you the, the short version of it. But I think it's refreshing. And especially with a younger generation who think that that's how it should have been. And it's supposed to be that way anyway. Like, if you talk to younger kids, and you like, oh, like, if, if they have a gay friend, or someone makes an offhand comment, it's usually the child that's like, correct, and you'd be like, no, you, you can't say that word anymore, <laughs> or something like that. So that's comforting and, and reassuring as well. And I'm, I'm wondering if you see that also in with your kids or with a younger generation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel that it's neat that we are able to live in a time where I feel like yeah. history is being made because I th- I think social change has happened much quicker right now than yeah. it has in the past. And I think that that has a lot to do with technology, obviously. And you could, that is a whole different yeah. conversation we could have, of course, about the play, the role that technology has played in all of this. But I think um, it certainly has benefited 
the progression of just social change in general. And I think absolutely, you know, having kids myself and seeing the way that they act and seeing how society is molding and shaping them right now is definitely different than when I was a kid. And so I'm, I'm excited to see a lot of the changes that are happening. Yeah. Regarding um, technology, have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix yet? You know, I watched the other night, I watched like half of it. I didn't watch all of it, but it is, it's hard to watch. And then of course, coming from an advertising (laughs) perspective and like we track people and, you know, like just do stuff like that. It's just, you know, trying to make peace with all of that is, is interesting, but it's a very, I mean, I, I need, I want to finish watching. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then the great hack is the other one, which is like the the partner to that that just came out early oh, I out a couple months ago. It's about the Cambridge Analytica scandal and how they basically hacked Facebook. Not really hacked it; they just right. used it, right. <laughs> and they used it for like you know inf- to influence elections, which is wild. So watching those two back to back is pretty unnerving, but I think it's also you know helpful to be educated about. And then you can make your own decisions at, at the at the end of the movie and decide what you want to what you want to do and how you want to adjust your, your right, life. Absolutely. Well, yeah, like all of these conversations, especially with friends that I've known now for years and because of podcasting, never know where these are going to go, but I'm grateful for the opportunity because now when I talk to friends, it's more like Heather and I never get to catch up. So let me just invite her on the show and then we can catch <laughs> up there. <laughs> totally. True. So, so I'm usually it's kind of like uh, selfishly sometimes and just have an hour uninterrupted because it's hard to get an hard, <laughs> into an uninterrupted hour uh, to, to catch up with friends. So I'm just like, who are my podcasting friends that I just want to talk to for an hour? <laughs> well, thanks for having so, me, Harry, because it's been great yeah. talking with you for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate your friendship, uh, your guidance uh, on all things podcasting. It's been helpful to have a, a fellow business owner to talk shop with sometimes because as you know sometimes this can be a lonely journey (laughs) so i appreciate having you as a as a friend for all these years yeah i appreciate your friendship too and thanks for having me on this show it's been great chatting so for folks want to learn more about true native and to connect with you online what's the best way so you can go to truenativemedia.com and find out information on um, whether you're an advertiser or a podcaster and you want to learn more. I mean, you can go there and all that information is there. I'm really active on LinkedIn. So if you're interested in engaging with me there, you can go to, you know, just LinkedIn and, and look for Heather Osgood. And then lastly, we actually just launched a course a few months ago called the Podcast Moneymakers course, where we teach people how to grow their show and monetize it um, through advertising. So essentially, if your show is too small for representation, that's a good place for you to go where I can just walk you through how we do it essentially and you can do it for yourself Um, and you can find that at heatherosgood.com awesome and we'll sync up and make sure I have all those resources listed in the show notes as well perfect well thanks so much Harry thanks again thanks to Heather for coming on the show always nice when I get to connect with friends and now in lieu of the live events that are on hold for the foreseeable future I relish every moment to spend time with my podcasting peeps Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 238. We mentioned a lot of resources in this one, so make sure you check that out. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Special thanks to our ongoing podcast sponsor, the wonderful team at Focusrite and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlett 2i2 Pro, one of my favorites, the 3G third generation. Get more details at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 to see how we can help you with the launch of your show. 
Tune in next week for my conversation with Ronsley Vaz, founder of the We Are Podcast conference in Australia, which I was honored enough to be invited to and attend a couple of years ago. Ronsley's a friend from a business mastermind we're a part of as well called Black Belt. And we've got a really, really interesting, heartfelt uh, story from Ronsley. The things that he's gone through and the challenges he's had to overcome to get where he's at in the, the world of podcasting is really, really inspiring. I'm excited to bring that one to you next week. If you made it this far, no doubt you're looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with ads by Heather. A-D-S-B-Y, Heather. <laughs> hashtag ads by Heather. You can tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Heather at H-M-O-S-G-O-O-D. That's H-M-Osgood. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.